Welcome, this is Louis. And I'm Demoy. Welcome to another episode of Plantrepreneur, the podcast for plant-based entrepreneurs. Where we discuss everything and sometimes nothing about what it means to build a plant-based business. So, another episode with just us. Yeah, 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 back again. <laughs> it's good having just us as well. Yeah, so get to, go, nice in and get to, to go in on some topics. To have a chat. So everyone, welcome back to another episode, of course, of Plantrepreneur. I think we're probably about... 10 episodes deep right now we are yeah. we've lost count lost count <laughs> but yeah Louis so we're just chatting behind the scenes just for everyone to know and you had a burning question one that I'm super interested in jumping into because I've got a bit of uh, quite a few thoughts on it but let everybody know what the question is cool so we're talking about this time whether non-vegan brands launching vegan products is a good thing or a bad thing from the perspective of a vegan entrepreneur yeah. or someone with a vegan business. So, you know, most recently, the likes of Burger King launching uh, vegan nuggets, uh, Wagamama announcing 50% of the menu is now vegan, yeah. Adidas launching a vegan sneaker. Does this cannibalize the market for vegan brands or is it this uh, an overly positive thing? We touched on a few of those things before and I think it's interesting to jump into it properly because I'll tell you what happened the other day, right? And this is why it's so on trend. I got a press release from a McDonald's PR team saying by X amount of date, they want to, you know, reduce plastic waste. They want to do this. They want to do that. And obviously now they, they have the McPlant burger. Have you tried it, by the way? I haven't tried it. Yet. I haven't tried it. Either. I haven't tried no, it. I can't, it's, I can't. I can't. <laughs> I can't. I can't. It's conflicting, right? Because people that do eat McDonald's, I'm glad that they would, you know, want to try Beyond Meat and have it. But I looked at that press release and they were saying all of these things that they want to do. And I remember I looked at my partner and I was just like, it just feels too forced to me. I'm not saying what they're doing is not good, but I think you need to actually make more changes. It's like, it's weird when a brand makes one change and it wants to start shouting about it straight away. It just seems to me like that's the only reason why you've made the change to actually attract mm. a certain consumer. You can feel when it's not necessarily authentic. I think for me, when, whenever we want to judge something as good or bad, context is everything. Yeah. And taking a step back and looking at what our values are and perhaps the reason that we've started a business. And for me, like, the reason for starting the businesses was to help more people choose plant-based options yeah so if that's my reason for starting the business and my values around making plant-based food accessible does it tick those boxes does it help us move in that direction or away from it and the answer is yes so for me it's, it's overly it's positive and there's a number of reasons why i think number one go back five years even two years vegan food was fringe it's a little bit weird how, do you, how does something go from being fringe to being mainstream? It's the more people, more times it's seen, right? True, so true. you walk down a high street and three of the restaurants have a board with a big vegan logo yeah. outside. It starts to become normal. It comes into, into the collective subconscious. The more you see it, the more it's normalized. True. I think this is great. The important part of the question that we said was from a vegan entrepreneur's perspective. Yeah. I think what separates a lot of vegan entrepreneurs to maybe normal entrepreneurs is that the game is bigger than our individual business. True. The outcome, what's at stake is bigger. So fighting for more. Yeah, we're not yeah. fighting. We said it before. We're not fighting for market share. Yeah. We're fighting for sector growth. Yeah. So I want my competitors to achieve because it opens up a bigger customer base for, for me, but also because I'm, I'm bigger than that because we're striving for the same objective and we at, want that objective to be met. At what point though, because I've got a theory, right? And my theory is 
a lot of brands are coming out and they're doing the same thing, give or take, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe one has a bit more protein, one has a bit less mm -hmm. fat. It's very confusing for the consumers. You yeah. know, you go into a supermarket and you have seven, eight different options for alt beef or plant-based beef. At what point does the market shrink and only the strong survive, so mm. to speak? Because all of these companies are coming out and a lot of them are actually beaten from the same drum. And I personally, I'm like, okay, I know for us, for example, my girlfriend, she can't eat soy. So straight away, it's either beyond or naturally for us because they use pea, right? It's that choice. But then for somebody like myself, I can eat soy, right? And I'm just personally going for the cheaper option. And that's what it is for me. But at what point does the rest of the stuff go away and then we only keep the good stuff? I think in the protein space, it's, it's really interesting. I think, you know, this comes down to a lot of the time what motivates the person making the purchasing decision. And so for those people where they have a, perhaps a higher disposable income, yep. they're more able to make decisions based on real choice, right? Real choice meaning I love the authenticity of the brand. Mm -hmm. I, can, I resonate with the brand. It's organic. It's sustainable. If you're operating from a place where you choose the cheapest product, price point wins, yep, yep. right? Because ultimately it's about whether you can eat or not. True. And I think what's been great about the emergence of so many brands in a short space of time is that race to the cheapest price. Yep. Has, has happened a lot faster because there are so many brands in the space. That being said, to your point, you know, you go to a supermarket and there's now a number of brands, a number of choices, which for a consumer is, is amazing. As a business owner, it makes things a lot harder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think yeah. a lot of us were, whilst it was difficult to, to start a vegan business three or four or five years ago, and mm -hmm. um, you also, a lot of the time, were the only one playing, you're the only one play, True, playing the you're game. You're the only one in the park, yeah. So yeah. your point of difference, you didn't necessarily have to have a, a really strong brand story or a real a USP. You were just the only one. You get away with that. <laughs> a lot of the na early names would reflect that. The vegan why, vegan this, <laughs> yeah. plant this. You don't have that luxury of choice, but now you actually have to build a brand, True. which while it's harder because you have to build a brand, it's also easier because you have more potential customers. And going back to your point about non-vegan brands creating vegan or plant-based products, how do you feel about the supermarkets now? Because mm. I look at the supermarkets, I look at them as like a, a mafia, you know? And <laughs> it's, that, that's, that's literally like I say all the time, the supermarket or the mafia, because it's interesting because they come out with their own products based on what they see as selling well mm. and they can always undercut in price. Yeah. Obviously, sometimes they put it as like their own brand, their own label, and then it looks like a bit cheaper, which obviously it is, and consumers know, okay, this is maybe a cheaper option. So then it, a lot of people naturally also go for the more expensive option. It seems a bit more premium. Mm. But then you have supermarkets that actually come out with like their own labels that's not connected to the brand, to the supermarket brand. It just looks like its own product, but they're stocked and they're owned by the supermarket. Mm. How do you feel about that? Because part of me feels like that's not very fair and something needs to be sort of regulated when it comes to actually supermarket bringing out their own products. I mean, I think it's all fair because it's a, yeah. we're essentially, we're, we're a free market democracy, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, well, <laughs> questionable yeah, at times. Yeah, yeah. Questionable at times, but supposedly we're a free market democracy, and therefore it's a free market. Effectively, yeah. you know, they have that monopoly, and they're in a position to be able to do that. I think where, as brands, we can win is one not playing necessarily that game, building brands that are built on 
brand and community and authenticity and and a real story and there's examples of people that have done that incredibly well I've talked about uh, club culture before I backed and the boys have an amazing story and it's so authentic and it's them that people are willing to pay a little bit more to support the them supermarket and the could never get the that. supermarket can no, never you true. can't even buy that and you've seen it true. happen where supermarkets or bigger brands uh, buy out smaller brands yep. and they're not always able to retain that authenticity true. so I, th- I think for smaller brands it's play on the things that only you are capable of doing yep. a supermarket cannot build that authentic brand story they do not have that individual founder that can pick up the phone put out a message yep. that, that they can't do those things and I think that's where we can have success I talk about it from a restaurant perspective someone says to me the other day oh why would someone go and eat in your vegan restaurant where they can go to Wagamama pay less 50% of the menu is plant based person they're with can eat meat and they can all eat whatever they want yeah yeah, yeah they can but the size that Wagamama is or a restaurant of a similar ilk to Wagamama can the chef pick up the phone and put out a piece of content that's specific to an audience type sure. that they're trying to speak to yeah. can, do they know about the founder are they hearing about their story yeah. are they connected to that are they able to react in the same way yeah. are they able to bring things to market as quickly arguably no it has to go through various levels of sign off etc so I think there are still advantages to being small independent being able to react quickly as well yeah, and, yeah. and fully plant based yeah. as well like you remember that these brands while they're doing plant based options it's an option. Yeah. It's not their priority. Yeah. As a plant-based brand, it is all we know. And you'd be surprised. And I've worked with brands. I've, I've contacts that have worked with big brands. Their knowledge base of the plant-based space is still very primitive. Yeah. And they're leaning on brands outside of that. So what that also says to me is there's a lot of collaboration opportunities. And we're seeing those barriers come down. We're seeing smaller, early stage, comparatively young brands get into a position where they can collaborate with big brands, supermarkets. Yeah. Look at Wicked um, Kitchen, right? Wicked, yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. Derek's done an incredible yeah. thing there. And also, go, uh, there's a Squeaky Bean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're a pretty good yeah, one as well. Yeah. yeah, because they need that knowledge. And I think the founders, we have such an opportunity over the next mm. two to three years to become experts in our own niches. And then our skill sets prove invaluable. And then what's the problem? If you were two or three years in, you built up an incredibly an, a niche skill set in an area of plant-based food, for example, and then you then are in a position to work with a, yep. a big organization and you can leverage that infrastructure, that capital, true, that true. to you go back to what the goal is, is to feed as many people plants as possible. Yep. You're going to achieve that mission much faster with the back end of those kind of oh, companies. Brand, so I think largely it's, it's overly positive and I think the interest from those people is going to create so much opportunity for entrepreneurs and creatives and chefs and people that are working in the space who before it's been a challenge to get things off the yeah. ground outside of food i want to touch on this because i had a had a little dilemma this week and i saw your post actually i think uh, these trainers that you're wearing now right mm. they're vegan vivos yeah. yeah yeah so i had a little dilemma this week i've got quite a few vegan trainers yeah. I was a big sneakerhead before and you know when I went vegan I thought okay stop buying leather stop doing everything else because I made a full transition you know I think mm. veganism is more than just what you mm-hmm. eat and I was walking and I thought these trainers are not that comfortable and then I thought about all the trainers that I bought and I thought it's not the same as a consumer I consider myself ethical but at the same time I have to be honest with myself mm. I am buying a higher or same price point and some of the quality is not the same. So when it comes to entrepreneurs who are in the fashion industry specifically, what are your thoughts on potentially putting out products that 
you know, you want people to wear, you want people to be advocates for, but it's not at the same quality for whatever reason, because the materials exist, everything exists. But why is it that I think some of the fashion brands just haven't quite got it right just yet? I know people, for example, I've got a pair of leather boots that I've had for five years and, you know, I would never buy another pair, but I've had it for so long and I, and I will still wear it, of course, mm. but it's lasting me that long. And that's similar situation. You know it's what? comparable to the food situation. I think yeah. fashion is just a little bit behind. Yeah. If you went into the uh, alternative protein aisle of, of even like a health food store yeah. four or five years ago, the product was pretty terrible. Yeah. And it's again, it comes down to things like competition and investment into companies True. in that space and all these other factors. And I think fashion is fairly early on in this journey, oh, yeah. particularly with, with sneakers. Um, yeah, yeah. I've, I found a, a pair based in Spain. I got a pair gifted from a company. They're incredibly comfortable. Yeah. But the, the lady who runs it is uh, Auras. So I'll put it in the notes because they're brilliant. But they're made to order. She uh, literally makes them to order. You order. She puts the order into the factory. It's her. It's a startup. She's funding it herself. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not readily available. Yeah. I think there's such an opportunity in that space. And it's interesting because the big brands are trying to jump on it. And yeah, I've tried both Adidas's uh, vegan line. It's okay. It's not that great. Mm. Nike's is not that good. They have the space hippie line. Also not that great. So I think what you mentioned is you have entrepreneurs who potentially might be looking at creating their own stuff it might be an opportunity to attach yourself to a big brand like that because that's not their core business. They're not doing that well at it. So there's a key opportunity there for people. Yeah, and the techno, I think what consumers are demanding as well is going to run parallel to the food side. Food is people's entry point most yeah. of the time, right? Yeah. I continued buying leather after I went vegan. Mm -hmm. Mine was very much a health choice to begin with. It was only later that I started, I would say, a full transition to, <laughs> yeah. to, to use your words. And I think that journey is quite relatable for a lot of people where it starts with food, and then bit by bit, you take the other steps. And sure. I think always where there's an increase in demand, someone will meet that demand. Yeah. Perhaps there's a bigger window of opportunity there than there is food at the moment. I mean, us two, for example, probably two people that if there was a, <laughs> if there was a good alternative leather sneaker on the market, I would go there. I had it this week. I sold a, actually this week, funny enough, a quite uh, serendipitous timing. I sold all of my trainers and bags that were leather this oh, week. Oh wow, okay. And the reason I did it was because uh, as much as I believe the most sustainable clothing you can buy is the stuff yeah. you already own, right? True. And I don't feel bad about wearing stuff that I've had for a long, long yeah. time, but if I walk in advertising board and I've got a leather bag, leather trainers, leather jacket, I don't necessarily feel that correlates with the image that I want to portray, right? True, true. It was, it was quite painful, I admit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But trying to replace those items this week has been difficult. I've yeah. been, you know, having to really scour and find brands that I can shop with that tick the boxes that match the ethics that I'm trying to buy with, right? It has yeah. to be leather. And then the question marks come around, is it going to last? Is it, you know, because yeah. arguably it's less sustainable. If I have to buy a new bag every year, True. it's not as sustainable, True. right? So again, I think it's timing, but I think bigger brands that are able to mobilize quicker coming mm. into that space and providing a solution yeah. is a massive win for the consumer. Um, it's a massive win for the space in general and entrepreneurs that potentially want to enter the market or have entered the market in a small way I think it's good for them for example going through a process of raising capital yeah. if you can show look Nike have put these trainers out Alice put these trainers out this is where the space is going and they sell out as well and they sell out yeah. and then again it comes back to a spoke, point we spoke about before what can you do that they can't do 
True. You just make a list. Do you know, and on the topic, because it's like relatable, I feel quite guilty sometimes because, uh, you know, exploring this ethical lifestyle, doing things that are better for the environment, myself and just mankind in general. I feel guilty because my purchasing habits sometimes now, I have to question because mm. as you said, right, the most sustainable thing you can do is or own is or buy is something that you already own, right? Yeah. And I like to buy stuff in terms of like fashion and, you know, trainers, clothes, whatever it is. But then I think it's this ethical of me to buy something that I don't need, even though it's vegan, I still think is this ethical of me. And then I think, mm. you know, when I walk into the office or if I walk into the space and somebody knows like there's the boy and he's got a new pair of trainers on, oh, he's not so ethical because he's, he consumes like he buys a lot of stuff. Do you face the same challenge? Because it's something that I think about like a lot. I'm thinking, oh, I don't need it, but if I want it, am I allowed to get it? Is there a crisscross between a lifestyle that you live and, you know, your ethical lifestyle and mm. something like that? It's a really good point. Really it's tough for me. Good. I'm not going to lie to you. It's like, course, I think about it a lot. I think as well, like, you know, if you're a founder in the space and you're, as we said, like a, a walking advertisement for yeah. veganism, you put yourself on a pedestal to be asked these kind of questions by other people as well. And, and that's where some of the pressure can come from. Yeah. It's not necessarily, do I feel ethical myself? It's, am I looking ethical? How are you going to be perceived? A am yeah. I, am, how am I perceived in relation <clears throat> yeah. to how I want to be perceived? In terms of buying things, I think there's a balance. Yeah. Certainly in the past, I've been someone that's probably bought more than I need. <laughs> yeah. And then if I look into the reason why I bought more than I needed, a lot of it was down to how I wanted to impress other people. Sure. And I think what I've found really beneficial recently is selling those items, getting rid of a lot of things, less clutter, yep. simplifying what I have, and wearing the same things more often. It's been liberating from a sense of uh, my own like, mental well-being as yep. well. Yeah. And to your point, then you buy things when you need to replace them. You need to have footwear that's comfortable, yep. clothing that's comfortable, clothing that keeps us warm, clothing for certain times. And it's just being mindful in doing that. So, you know, rather than going to visiting a brand who are notorious for using sweatshops yep. and poor practices, you're seeking out brands which are clearly very sustainable. They're reusing certain materials, their yep. ethical practices that they speak about. And rather than buying five pairs of jeans or trousers a year, you might buy two pairs, but yep. you buy them from the right places. And True. I think there's a, there's a real, ba there's a, there's a real yeah. balance. I think when it comes to the community as well, like the you know plant-based or vegan community, I think there's a huge understanding piece that there are different kinds of consumers and there are different kinds of people and we have mm. to accept everyone because we need to go towards that common goal, right? And I think just like food, right? People say like, oh, this burger has that in it or that plant-based meal has that in it. And we have to think, okay, there's an entry point, as you mentioned, because if I'm speaking to a friend of mine and you know he or she might be highly fashionable and they love to buy stuff and I'm trying to get them to transition over to swapping out animal products, I can't say to them, do you know what? This is what you usually do, but now you should stop doing that. I have to give you the same options that you had before. 100%. And it makes a transition. Like I've seen, I was working with a shoe brand and we put an ad out on Facebook and all the comments were just, I can just buy a pair of trainers for 20 quid. Why does this cost a hundred? It's like, maybe you're not the consumer for that. It's a bigger question as well. It's like, you know, for example, like why does the bag have to be Louis Vuitton? Yeah. And if you're motivated to buy that bag, what is the reason you're motivated to buy that bag? Can <laughs> yeah. you unravel that motivation 
And that, can you be honest enough with yourself True. to work that? What is it about that pattern on that bag? Is it a signal? Yeah. Are you using that bag as a signal to other people to portray a certain image? Mm. If that's the case, there's, there's, it got, it's beyond being someone that's buying a product. It's like, what am I having to resolve within myself that makes me a, feel I need that? Yes. To, you need to, it's almost that human nature of longing to fit into a certain category. And if you're not in that category, then you long to be in it. So you try to purchase mm. things and do things. But then it's the ego shifting where it, with the ego shifting from that to, I have to uphold the sustainable image now and to wear vegan trainers and that, that. Exactly. Ultimately, it comes down to, I think, buying what you are comfortable with, yeah. what correlates with your values, because what's right for you is not going to be right for me and someone else. We're all operating from a different value system and a different, seeing the world through a different lens. Yeah. So look at your values and say, does this correlate with my values? If yes, then great. If no, then no. There's, there is no right and wrong. That's the beauty of it. There true, is, no, there is no right and wrong. True. And for me, where I'm at with it is I sold a lot of things that I had and now I'm looking at it from the perspective of I buy when I need it. Yeah. When I do buy, I buy less, but I buy from the right places. And this again goes back to from a brand perspective, it's really communicating. If you're taking the time and the care to reuse materials, to pay pay people fairly, to shout about it, because yeah. this is what these other brands can't do, right? True. Really true. play on the things you're doing and turn and it into a positive. You're doing, you are actually a living embodiment of that because 100%. you have brands who aren't and they still try to do that anyway. 100%. And it's confusing for people. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I think, obviously so that was a... To close it, what, yeah. what trainers you buy next? <laughs> do you know what? There's, I'm going to plug them because... Uh, do it. There's a brand called Mercer. Okay. Have you heard of them? No. They're actually a Dutch brand. They're based okay. in Amsterdam. And I literally was Googling vegan trainers because after that day, I went there and I was just like, I need some good, mm. vegan, comfortable trainers. And I started Googling stuff and you see the usuals pop up. And actually, a huge point for up-and-coming brands out there, Adidas and Nike are actually dominating those uh, the ads on Google. And I'm just like, no, I've tried that. Those are not it. And I see other brands pop up. And I saw these guys and I thought they had the option to like buy and I'll pay later, right? And uh, test it out first. And it arrived and I just thought, okay, this is quality, tried it on. What and I just thought instantly. Remove the barrier to entry. Yeah. To your point on that, what, what I love about this time as well is a few things. One is that we live in a time where you can start a footwear brand, for example, which is a physical custom product with relative ease. Yeah. So you probably read Shoe Dog, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's not like a Nike. It's yeah. not a brand. It was, it was, it was difficult flying to see factories. It's relatively easy now to start yeah. a brand, right? So the barrier to entry is quite low as an entrepreneur. That's another one. one that we're going to touch on another episode as well because the struggles there. <laughs> so that's, that, so that, that's one thing. Yeah. Second thing, what a time to live in where you can launch a product and compete with the biggest brands in the world True. because it's vegan. True. Like, if you launched a, a trainer brand 10 years ago to compete with, with a Nike or whatever, and when I say compete, I'm saying within your segment of the market. Yeah. Like, who's to say, why, why does it have to be, there's only four, there's, you go into a shop, there's only five brands available. Yeah. Now, you have the internet, you have a million brands available, doing smaller numbers, but servicing their own customers. And yeah. I think the people, there's an attractiveness to that where I buy from this boutique brand, not a lot of people know about, I quite like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, true, true. I think uh, everything exists for the different kinds of consumers that are mm. out there. And I think you just got to find your own. And going back to the point that we started on as well, because I jumped into fashion, looking at, you know, as you mentioned, the supermarkets and products coming out and the larger brands creating products. I think it's just as we discuss here, like 
everyone needs something. We're all different, all different kinds of consumers. Mm -hmm. And if that brand is creating something and, you know, the category shrinking as an entrepreneur, you have to find your way and create something that's going to stand out. You have to. It's a survival to fit us at the end of the day. 100%. Nothing else matters. It's very difficult to say this at the moment though, isn't it? Survival of the fittest. That's also this a point for another episode because it really. I'll touch on it very quickly, very, very quickly because. We're going to clip this, by the way. <laughs> we, we will clip it off, but I think that some of that, you know, speaking about Shoe Dog and some of that has been lost. Yes, you are launching a business. Yes, you are an entrepreneur. It's going to be tough. It's just the way it is. Like, mm. that's the life that you chose. Like, you chose that life. Yeah you have to sometimes realize maybe this is not for you because it really is survival of the fittest. Like I've had nights, days where I look at myself in the mirror and I say, this might not be for me. And I think you have to be honest with yourself. And I always come out the other side and that's me proving to myself that it is for me. Mm. But going back to that point, like it's not for everyone. And if you need to put out, you know, if something's affecting you mentally, if something's affecting you physically, emotionally, then you have to accept that maybe it's just not for you if it's draining your life and your energy and, you know, everything else. There's been a glamorization of entrepreneurship and people wanting to, wanting to appear that they're doing something. And success, we've said before, like success is pursuing something that, that you care about and that is fulfilling to you. Yeah. It's not predicated on money, status, any of those things. It's literally... For me, at least, and again, everyone has their own definition, but it's what is fulfilling, what is worthwhile, what is making a positive impact. And that doesn't necessarily have to be a business. True. It doesn't have to be a business. You 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 don't have to be a number one. You don't have to be a CEO of a company. You could be a teacher of whatever. It's not sexy these days, is it? It's not. Happiness is glamorized and it's sold now, but it's not sexy. It's not like do what makes you happy. No, it's... uh, be happy while you're rich or while you're doing this or while you're doing something that people perceive as cool. Mm. It's not. It doesn't exist anymore. Mm. Let's wrap it up there. Yes, because really got topics for another one. We're going to jump into this on the next episode.